Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. We stream live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, weekdays at docwashburnshow.com. Minutes after each live stream is completed, the Doc Washburn Show podcast is available for download at all your favorite podcast platforms. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com. This is episode 63 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Monday, January 10th, 2022. Coming up, CDC director admits that more than 75% of the people that they claim died from COVID actually had an average of four other comorbidities. And Joe Rogan asked Jordan Peterson, how do we get here? More on that later. Yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't let me say that on the radio. And yes, there's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com, and click on the button that says become a patron. Now, speaking of supporting what we do, that's what our advertisers also do. And I'm proud and honored to be supported by Red River Your Way. Now, if you've tried to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage that you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live just to get the kind of vehicle they want. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including the freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online and they will drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they have added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options that you have full control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can determine what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door, no matter where you live, redriveryourway.com. You'll be glad you did. All right. Over the weekend, a lot has developed. And I, I think it'd probably be a good idea to start with this really quick little clip from CDC Director Rochelle Walensky. And it goes something like this. The overwhelming number of deaths, over 75%, occurred in people who had at least four comorbidities. So really, these are people who were unwell to begin with. Really? Really? 
So you've got over 800,000 people in the United States of America that you've been claiming died from COVID. And however many of them died when Trump was still president, all the blood's on his hands. Even though summer of 2020, the CDC quietly announced that 94% of the people had an average of 2.6 comorbidities. So really only 6% of the people had died from COVID instead of with it. And now she's saying over 75% of the people had at least four comorbidities. So, um, and this time, instead of just a, an admission on the website, she actually says it on ABC's Good Morning America with George Stepp on all of us. So... You think there's any connection to the circuit judge in Texas late last week telling the FDA, no, you can't wait 75 years to get all the information out on the Pfizer trials. You have to do it within a few months. Could this have something to do with these little leaks about what's really going on. The great Jeff Carlson over the epochtimes.com, his response to the CDC director is, what is the death rate for people with zero comorbidities? You think they'd ever answer that question? I doubt it. Look, I played for you last week a clip of Fauci from before the China virus in 2018 or 2019, which he was talking about how important exercise and nutrition and getting good rest are to stay healthy. Why do you think he hasn't mentioned that once in two years? Just a, just a question. Just asking. So, uh, one of the people I follow on uh, Twitter said, in the end, as always, conservatives slash conspiracy theorists are proven right yet again. Only about 6% die from the virus alone. So 800,000 equals only 48,000 total deaths from just the virus after two years. So the flu is twice as deadly. Now, how many died from the vaccine? Hmm? Well, they don't want to. They don't want to tell us that, do they? Carol Markowitz, columnist from New York Post, says that CDC director Rochelle Walensky admitting 
the line about at least four comorbidities feels very much like we're going to find out the vaccinated people are dying at a higher rate than we've been told. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what it feels like. So Ariel Davidson over the Claremont Institute says this whole deal about her admitting that over 75% of the people who they claimed died from the China virus had over four comorbidities each. She said, you know, this would have been really helpful to know when we, uh, I don't know, shut down schools for a year. Joe Vole says that before we forced masks on children, masks don't work anyway, but even if they did, there was zero reason to force them on children. Yeah, I'm going to conduct an experiment here. Just, uh, just curious. And I haven't had time to check before I started the show today. But, um, of course, this is a, a national podcast. I used to do local talk radio in Little Rock, Arkansas. About 70% of the people who download our podcast are from the other 49 states. But I'm just curious. I'm just curious. The governor of Arkansas has, uh, has been very concerned about the Wu flu. Very concerned. Taking it very seriously. Whatever the CDC or the FDA or the NIH or the World Health Organization says, whatever Joe Biden says, oh, man. Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson says, jump? Well, how high? How high you want me to jump? So I'm just checking to see if Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson has said anything at all, whatsoever, about the fact that uh, the CDC is now admitting, now admitting that 75% of the people they say died from COVID-19 actually had at least Four other comorbidities. Nothing on either one of his Twitter accounts. Not a word about it. Yeah, he's he's not going to want to address this. He's absolutely, positively, not, nope, nothing on his Facebook. I wonder, uh, how many governors who really did enjoy the feeling of being an emperor? Guys like 
Andrew Cuomo, New York. Phil Murphy, New Jersey. Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. Gavin Newsom in California. Inslee up in Washington, who's pushing a bill in the Washington State Legislature to send unvaccinated people involuntarily to camps. Did you know about that? Live in Washington State, I'd get out now. I wonder how many of these governors who enjoyed being the little state dictator, like Aza Hutchinson in Arkansas. He's the only Republican one I mentioned. I wonder how many of them are going to even address what the CDC director just said on Good Morning America this morning. I think they were going to just shine that one on. I don't think that's going to come up. No. But it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting when all the information about the Pfizer vaccine trials that uh, the FDA wanted to help them keep secret for 75 years when that all comes out, pardon me, when that all comes out, I'm sorry, I, I, I should never try to read and talk at the same time. I apologize. I mean, there are, <laughs> there are common grammatical errors that a lot of people make. People say, well, you should have went instead of you should have gone. Uh, but the one I just did is unheard of. No one says, well, just wait until we see when that all comes out instead of when that all comes out. So you can tell, well, there's something wrong here with this guy doing this, uh, this live stream podcast for him to say something like that. That's not a typical grammatical error. What's wrong with you? Um, what's wrong with me is I'm scrolling Twitter while I'm talking. See, as the great Rush Limbaugh once said, and I'm not comparing myself to Rush. I uh, wouldn't be qualified to be his caddy on the golf course. But as he once said, the uh, the show prep never ends. Never ends. Now, are you familiar with Dr. Merritt? Dr. Merritt is one of these frontline doctors. You, you, you might want to listen to this. And as that, I research bioweapons and all sorts of stuff and masks. And I'm going to tell you, in my entire professional career, I've never heard anybody actually believe that these kind of, any kind of masks, short of a, a, an actual level four containment suit, made a difference to small particle viruses. In fact, the CDC itself just published an article in May exactly saying that. They cannot, con cannot contain uh, influenza with these masks, and that's even larger than this virus. Now, I'm, and, and I reviewed all this science. I gave a talk out in Nevada last month and it's online YouTube medical technocracy in my name and you can look at all the sciencey stuff um, my conclusion looking at all the uh, redoing the, my investigation of this this time is that people that are now purporting to scientifically prove masks work are either being paid or being played this just doesn't work this way and um, you know the the outcome of this is not going to be good
And as that, I researched bioweapons and all sorts of stuff and masks. Wait a minute, wait a minute. See, that's one of the problems of playing a video, the audio from video off Twitter. If it is shorter than one minute, it starts over. So, again, if you're a guy like me and you're trying to multitask and you got a different tab open and just listening to it from the tab it's playing, it'll catch you every once in a while. That is Dr. Lee Merritt out of Nebraska from uh, themedicalrebel.com. Yeah. Look, they, they know the masks don't work. If they thought the masks worked and if they thought they were in danger of catching the Wu flu, then they'd be wearing masks instead of being caught all the time going to uh, Florida without masks. Right, AOC? Yeah, let me get a little bit longer clip here from the CDC director. This is from an interview she did on Fox News Sunday with Brett Baer, who, who I guess is doing a lot of Fox News Sunday these days with Chris Wallace having left them in the lurch. The overwhelming number of deaths, over 75%, occurred in people who had at least four comorbidities. So really, these are people who were unwell to begin with. The overwhelming number of deaths... Wow. Wow. How about that? No, that's the one one I already played. That's that's the one. I, oh, okay, see, this is another thing that happens. Another thing that happens is when you, when you're getting a lot of your show prep because all the news is on Twitter, and you think you have something, and then the column resets, you 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 wind up playing something different than you had planned on playing. All right. That was her on Good Morning America, ABC News. Here is Dr. Rochelle Walensky, CDC director from Fox News Sunday with Brad Bear. Do you know how many of the 836,000 deaths in the U.S. linked to COVID are from COVID or how many are with COVID, but they had other comorbidities? Do you have that? He's looking at a script. This is pre-planned. Brett Bear is helping her roll this uh, inconvenient truth out finally two years into this. Um, Yes, of course, with Omicron, we're following that very carefully. Our death registry, of course, um, takes a few weeks to and uh, takes a few weeks to collect. um, And of course, Omicron has just been with us for a few weeks, but those data will be forthcoming. Okay, so she wasn't going to break it on Fox News Sunday. She waited until Good Morning America on ABC the next day. I mean, don't tell me she didn't know what the CDC's website said a year and a half ago. That 94% of the people they say die from the Rona actually have an average of two and a half other comorbidities. Don't tell me she didn't know what she was going to say 24 hours later, which is over 75% of the people had at least four other comorbidities. She just didn't want to break the news on Fox. And that's fine. That's fine. But that's what I'm here for. To let you know what's up. 
Now, we talk about the erosion of our freedoms here in America. We also have some Canadian listeners. Man, I tell you what, I don't know how you guys stay. My U.S. listeners should be be very thankful they weren't born and raised in Canada. Just a couple of weeks ago, Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, yeah, I, I think he's probably Fidel Castro's biological son, He said, we're going to end this pandemic by proceeding with the vaccination. There is still a part of the population fiercely against it. They don't believe in science or progress and are very often misogynistic and racist. This is the guy who wore blackface many times. Uh, They take up some space. This leads us as a leader and as a country to make a decision. Do we tolerate these people? Just so you know. What's going on in Canada? They're not even trying to hide it. They're not even trying to hide it. Now, let me say this. The great Jack Posobiec over at uh, Human Events has a screenshot of a psychology professor that the Associated Press used to fact-check Dr. Malone when he talked about mass formation psychosis. It's a guy named Jay Van Bevel, and he says, until we get a vaccine, this is August of 2020, until we get a vaccine, our only real tools are behavioral. We have to think through the lens of behavioral science. What can we do to nudge and encourage and cajole and motivate people to do the right thing? Got it? It's about power. It's always been about power. It's never been about your health. Never. Never. By the way, Cameron Cawthorn, politics editor over at Fox News, reporting Vice President Kamala Harris's new communications director said George W. Bush stole the election from Al Gore and was illegitimate. Just so you know. Just so you know. But as Sean Davis, the great co-founder of Federalist, says, it's okay when Democrats do it. He's got a trademark on that. It's okay when Democrats do it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, I don't know if you heard, because we have a lot of listeners in uh, in the state of New York. I don't know how many are in New York City. But uh, New York recently had a, an election for mayor, and uh, they could have chosen a guy like Curtis Sliwa, the Guardian Angels guy, who would have cracked down on crime and tried to bring New York City back. Or... They could have voted for Democrat Eric Adams who said, hey, I'm going to be tough on crime. I was a cop. Remember? I'll be tough on crime. You don't have to vote for a Republican. You vote for a Democrat and be tough on crime. So what's one of the first things Eric Adams does when he gets sworn in as mayor? 
he allows a bill to become law in New York City, which will give more than 800,000 non-citizens the right to vote in local elections. Well, how many of you think will vote in uh, congressional elections, presidential elections? I mean, that's what you get. That's what you get when you vote for Democrats. Even those that say they will be tough on crime. Just so you know. Oh, by any chance, did you see it was viral on social media, went viral over the weekend. These uh, these so-called Patriot guys, they tend to show up at conservative rallies in D.C., and they're all wearing khakis, and they all have masks on, and they all wear sunglasses. They showed up at a March for Life in Chicago on Saturday. And they all march in formation. They're all carry a bunch of them are carrying American flags. They rolled up in a, a whole bunch of vehicles, all had their license plates taped over, which is against the law. Chicago cops just standing around not doing a thing. Not doing a thing. So the only logical conclusion to come up with is these are FBI agents. And since they're doing this on a Saturday afternoon, I guess they would get per diem, right? Yeah, I'm looking at a bunch of videos. Patriot Front breaking off from the March for Life with some carrying shields and wearing shin guards as they march through Grant Park in Chicago. One of their members is photographing press that are taking pictures or videos. Yeah. Negative reception from some of the March for Life crowd accosting Patriot Front members and accusing them of hijacking a pro-life movement as they march through Chicago. Well, of course, I mean, the FBI is uh, acting like an owner uh, and own and operated affiliate of the Democrat Party. Of course, they would want to hijack a pro-life movement. Yeah, of course they would. The FBI is hope, oh, hopelessly corrupt. If by the grace of God we ever get another Republican president, the FBI needs to be totally dismantled and replaced. Totally dismantled and replaced. It, it's it's unsalvageable. You know? It's unsalvageable. It's hopelessly corrupt, in my humble opinion. And you're entitled to it. 
Man, oh man, man, oh man. The great Raheem Kassam over at uh, the National Pulse, the editor and chief over there, co-founder of the War Room with Bannon, about the Patriot Front in Chicago, says, ah, yes, the totally normal and definitely not government behavior of taping up all the license plates on a procession of cars, over a dozen of them, sure. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Another guy says, and the totally MAGA behavior of wearing masks outside to go with their cookie-cutter uniforms and matching manufactured shields. Sure, nothing to see here. So, were they just trying to intimidate a bunch of pro-lifers? What it looks like. It's certainly what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah, anybody remember Ray Epps? The guy who, uh, the night before January 6th, was telling everybody, oh, I better not say this. I'm going to get arrested. Well, don't say then. No, I'll say it. We've got to get into the Capitol tomorrow. Well, a few months ago, some intrepid, patriotic, independent journalists found Ray Epps on a golf cart on a golf cart in uh, Arizona. And they wanted to ask him some questions. And Ray Epps, Ray Epps wasn't too crazy about, about being asked anything. He went something like this. With uh, pure politics, I've been trying to get a hold of you. We, we met January 5th. We're patriots. We're patriots. Well, do, you, do you remember me from January 6th? I, I understand that, but I can't say. Are you still under investigation by the FBI? Are you a federal informant? Is there a reason why the FBI took you off the most wanted list? Are you a federal informant? Ray Epps? Are At this point, Ray Epps has turned his golf cart around and is just driving away. Are you a federal informant? That's Ray Epps, alleged federal informant, driving into his property. Tomorrow, we need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. See, this is Ray Epps from back January 2021. As far as we can find this. And then we got to Thomas Massey, U.S. Congressman Thomas Massey, asking a question from Attorney General Merrick Garland under oath. As far as we can find, this individual has not been charged with anything. You said this is one of the most sweeping investigations in history. Uh, have you seen that video or th- those frames from that video? So, as I um, uh, said at the outset, uh, one of the norms of the Justice Department is to not comment on impending investigations and particularly not to comment about uh, particular scenes or particular individuals. Well, the individual that the attorney general refuses to answer questions about is a man named Ray Epps. Laura Ingram now. So why is he potentially important here? Well, according to a new investigation from Revolver, Epps may have led the breach team that first entered the Capitol on January 6th. Moreover, Revolver also reports that the FBI stealthily removed Ray Epps from its Capitol violence uh, most wanted list on July 1st. Why would they do that? 
Congressman Thomas Massey has been looking into this, joins me now. Congressman, what did Garland's reaction there tell you? I mean, they, they aren't supposed to comment on ongoing investigations. He's right about that. But this Epps thing, when they were getting grandma, you know, uh, you know, hauling grandma in for questioning, but this guy doesn't get, uh, he's, he's just kind of disappears. Very odd. Well, look, in light of the recent revelations that half the plotters in the Whitmore kidnapping plot where FBI agents are informed. Or informants, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, in case you're wondering, well, what is he talking about the Whitmer kidnapping plot? So October, October of 2020, a bunch of people were arrested in Michigan for plotting to kidnap the governor of Michigan. Okay. Problem is, most of them were either FBI agents or FBI informants. Most of the people actually involved in the plot, not 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 most of the people arrested. Most people involved in the plot. And the head of the FBI field office in Detroit, then a couple of weeks later, is promoted to be the head of the FBI field office in Washington, D.C., just in time to help them plan January 6th. Just a thought. Just a thought. Now, we're going to get to Joe Rogan asking uh, Jordan Peterson, how do we get here? We're going to get to that in just a minute, but... A lot of people I know want to get out from of from under government control to any extent possible. And, you know, if it's not obvious to you by now that Obamacare, remember Pelosi, 2009? Well, we're just going to have to pass it so you can see what's in it. If you don't understand Obamacare was part of the deep state's long-term plan to control ever more and more of your life. I don't know what to tell you. But there's a way out. So let's go through the checklist here. Did Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high co-pays keep you from going to the doctor? Now, if you answered yes to any of those questions, you need to get a website. Get onto the website, myfamilyhealthplan.com. Big, bold letters, affordable plans. Save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays. Then the, the button, schedule call now. You click on that button. You get a free consultation with my buddy Art Wilborn who makes sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Also, make sure you get a plan that doesn't force you to cover things like abortion, which would offend your deeply held religious beliefs, unlike some of those Obamacare plans. Again, affordable plans, 
Save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays. Just click the button, schedule call now, get your free consultation. All right, Wilborn, make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Save money on your insurance at myfamilyhealthplan.com. All right, let me, uh, let me give you the clip from Joe Rogan, just mystified, asking Jordan Peterson, the very popular, very popular speaker, Jordan Peterson. His YouTube videos have millions and millions of views. And Joe Rogan's just, he doesn't understand how we got here. Here's how it went. I just don't understand how it gets to the point well, where thing, things get to terrible places one tiny step at a time. You know, if I encroach, I, if I encroach on you and I'm sophisticated about it, I'm going to encroach two millimeters. I'm going to encroach right to the point where you start, start to protest. Then I'm going to stop Then I'm going to wait. Then you're going to calm down. Then I'm going to encroach again right to the point where you protest. Then I'm going to stop. Then I'm going to wait. And I'm just going to do that forever. And before you know it, you're going to be back three miles from where you started and you'll have done it one step at a time and then you'll go oh how'd I get here and the answer was well I pushed you a little farther than you should have gone and you agreed and so then I pushed you a little farther than you should have gone again and you agreed and if anybody's interested in this sort of process and this is a horrifying book if you want to read about how this process works you can read a book called Ordinary Men by Robert Browning so um that's how it works. The other analogy I've heard, of course, is that if you try to th- throw a frog in a pot of boiling water, he's going to jump right out. But if you put him in a pot of cold water and just turn the heat up ever so slightly, ever so gradually, you'll cook the frog. He won't move. He won't move. And so that's why... People in power, when they talk about trying to get you to do things you don't want to do, that's why they refer to their efforts to get you to do things you don't want to do as nudging you. All right? Got it? They like to nudge you in the direction of losing more and more of your freedoms, more and more of your liberties. It's all about nudging you. Yeah. It certainly is. So, I think, um, well, one of the questions... See, I was at the Global COVID Summit, Dr. Robert Malone's group. They had a a summit meeting in North Little Rock Saturday. A bunch of great doctors there gave some great talks. And one person said that she was concerned when Biden says, I'm losing patience with people who don't want to get the vaccine. 
Oh, you are. So, so what does that mean? You're losing patience with us. You know, I'm not going to do what I don't want to do. I live in a free country. I'm an American citizen. You can't make me. Right? Well, whoever is pulling Biden's strings is trying to change that. Speaking of Biden, so what did uh, what did Biden say Saturday when he went to uh, tour the wildfire damage in Colorado that destroyed more than a thousand homes? What did Biden say? Uh, we're going to have windmills you can, you're going to see that have 100-yard wingspans, each, each propeller on that, on that uh, um, windmill, 100 yards long. So- wow. Well, you're going to kill a lot of birds with that, man. Yeah, let's go, Brandon. So there's so much that is going to be able to be done. And, uh, you know, I, uh, when I visit the National Reviewable Lab, Renewable Lab, Energy Lab, about 20 miles, I said, from here, it's, uh, it's also going to create a significant number of jobs. The reason I'm telling you this is that's no solace that you lost your home now. But it's that we're going to be able to do a lot of renewable things that allow you to not only rebuild, but afford to rebuild and rebuild better, to build back better than it was before. And uh, it includes billions of dollars for wildfire preparedness, resilience, and response to protect homes and public resources. Yeah, and the billions of dollars just come off trees. Right? I wonder what's going to happen. We're, what, almost $30 trillion in debt now? I wonder what's going to happen when... China says, okay, we're calling in uh, our loans, pay up. There's not enough money in the world. And they do it a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. I mean, so we voted in George W. Bush in 2000, and um, he was supposed to be a fiscal conservative. And um, a lot of us are horrified. He, he was spending like a drunken sailor. I mean, the national debt under George W. Bush climbed to unprecedented heights. Eight years later, Obama gets in. He's like, oh, you haven't seen nothing yet. And he made George W. Bush look like a, an amateur when it comes to getting the country into debt. Into debt. And we didn't pay it down during Trump's four years. God bless him for all the great stuff he did. We didn't pay the debt down at all during Trump's four years. And now, of course, Biden is just off to the races. Just off to the races. Look, I came across an article by Dr. Brian C. Jundef that dropped 
this morning, an American thinker entitled Early Outpatient COVID Treatment, Why Is There Still No Plan? He says, for most infections, early treatment is imperative to prevent late complications. For instance, gangrene infection in the toe must be treated aggressively to prevent losing not only the toe, but also a foot or leg if the infection is inadequately treated and spreads. Those with cardiovascular disease are treated with statins and blood thinners as outpatients to prevent more serious disease and subsequent hospital care for stroke and heart attack with a much higher probability of disability or death. So, COVID has been with us for almost two years, and yet there's still not officially a medical establishment-endorsed outpatient treatment protocols to keep infected individuals out of hospitals, which is where more, more serious problems began from secondary hospital infections, ventilators, and ultimately death. Back in March of 2020, when COVID emerged on the scene, the rule of thumb was to not go to the hospital until short of breath and deathly ill. By this time, with a cytokine storm raging, hurricane-force winds were blowing most to a ventilator in the ICU, whereas by the grace of God and a coin flip, whether one would exit the ICU alive, whatever alive meant for those poor souls that lived through weeks in a medically-induced coma. So where are we now? What does this same person do in early 2022 with symptoms of a bad cold or flu, regardless of vaccination status, which makes little difference at this point in time because so many people vaccinated are getting deathly ill? Consider this scenario. After waiting for hours for a COVID nasal swab, testing which, I'm not going to say the word president in front of that guy's name, testing which usurper Biden promised more of but failed to deliver on, a recurring theme of his floundering, floundering administration, the test returns positive. The cough is worsening, along with sore throat, fever, aches, pains, headache, and a GI tract running in high gear. Now what? What are the medical establishment's recommendations? A good place to start is the NIH. Specifically, the NIH's general management of non-hospitalized patients with acute COVID-19 updated less than a month ago, and here's what they say. Management of non-hospitalized patients with acute COVID-19 should include providing supportive care, considering the use of COVID-19-specific therapy for patients who have a high risk for disease progression, taking steps to reduce the risk of SARS-CoV-2 transmission, including isolating the patient, and advising patients on when to contact a healthcare provider and seek an in-person evaluation. So, rough translation of that from the National Institutes of Health. Good luck. Take two aspirin. Call me in the morning if you can't breathe. And make sure your affairs are in order for your hospital trip may be one way. Uh-huh. Supportive care is what you find in the supermarket aisle or at home. Tylenol, NyQuil, a humidifier, grandma's chicken soup, stay home and hope you get better. 
specific therapy refers to monoclonal antibodies, which depending on which antibody and which COVID variant you have may or may not be effective. That's assuming they're available given supply shortages, or if you have the wrong race under the new paradigm of healthcare equity, you may be at the back of the line for monoclonal antibodies. High-risk patients certainly need aggressive treatment, but what about everybody else, the vast majority? Just supportive care? Otherwise, it's isolate, which most would do anyway with a bad cold or the flu, staying home from school or work, and advice on when to seek evaluation, by which time the virus may have enough of a head start to evade any of the newly approved therapeutics, meaning following the yellow brick road to the ICU. So, What does the NIH's sister bureaucracy, the CDC, have to say? Okay, here's what they have to say. The CDC says, current clinical management of COVID-19 consists of infection prevention and control measures and supportive care, including supplemental oxygen and mechanical ventilatory support when indicated. Prevention? Duh. Of course we want to do that. Isn't that with the masks, the hand sanitizers, the gloves, the face shields, the quarantines, the social distancing, school and business closures, vaccine passports, booster shots, and everything else that has brought us now to a record-setting million new cases a day in the U.S. is supposed to prevent? How well are those measures working after two years? I'm reminded of triple-vaxxed, masked, and face-shielded Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin looking more like Darth Vader coming down with... The Wu flu recently. Other than that, the CDC recommends supportive care of oxygen and a ventilator. Great options. What are the recommendations for that critical time between staying home and needing oxygen or a ventilator? Why is that time frame conspicuously absent from treatment protocols? There are a handful of new antivirals available under emergency use authorization given by IV infusion generally becoming quasi-hospital care, and some of which may have major safety concerns. What about the critical time between when one is sick with COVID but not sick enough for IV infusions or hospitalization? Why, after two years, do we not have early outpatient treatment options for patients to keep them far away from IV lines and hospitals, just as we do for diabetes, asthma, COPD and a host of other diseases and conditions that are far better and cost-effectively managed at home, keeping people away from currently overcrowded hospitals. But we do have such treatment options. Yet they're condemned and disparaged by the medical establishment and media in favor of fighting a potentially fatal disease with a spoonful of NyQuil followed by a wing and a prayer. I speak of several medications deemed safe and effective by the FDA. For human use, although for non-COVID indications, COVID treatment being an off-label use. This is legal, ethical, and common in medicine. Think of Avastin for macular degeneration and diabetic retinopathy, the most used therapeutic yet off-label for this purpose. In the case of COVID, 
These options are banned by medical authorities with punishment doled out to those who dare prescribe them. As a necessary disclaimer, I'm not offering medical advice, only commenting on the current state of COVID treatment. All such treatment decisions should be made in consultation with your health care provider. Hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, with decades of use, overwhelmingly safe when prescribed appropriately are two such drugs. Then there are a host of over-the-counter supplements, including quercetin, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D, melatonin. There are also nasal sprays, gargles, and sinus rinses with dilute hydroxygen peroxide or povidone iodine. Most recently, there have been reports about off-label Viagra and antidepressant Luvox having potential benefit for COVID. I won't belabor the hysteria over hydroxychloroquine as if Fox News' Neil Cavuto telling his audience it will kill you. Or ivermectin described by the FDA as horse paste, which by the same logic means oats and corn are horse food, despite both being part of a normal human diet. The Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance seems to be only one of a few medical organizations offering an early outpatient treatment and prevention protocol to keep people out of the hospital and morgue. Yet the writers of Time magazine call these medical professionals bogus. So where are the vaunted clinical trials of these potential therapeutics? It took two months of vaccine trials for approval. Yet now, almost two years into this, where are the NIH-sponsored trials of these cheap and safe therapeutics? Fortunately, others have done such trials. A meta-analysis of 73 ivermectin trials demonstrated using the most serious outcome shows 66% and 83% improvement for early treatment and prophylaxis. A similar meta-analysis of 369 hydroxychloroquine studies showed hydroxychloroquine is not effective when used very late with high dosages over a long period. Effectiveness improves with earlier usage and improved dosing. Early treatment consistently shows positive effects. Note that early studies showing harm used dosages that were too high and too late to have benefit, but early treatment was consistently positive. This is not to argue against vaccines any more than to argue that the Air Force is the only way to win a war, excluding the Army, Navy, and Marines. With the nasty virus like COVID, it should be an all-hands-on-deck approach. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. The vaccines are harmful. This guy is doing such a great job. Such a great job until he gets to this. I'm done. The vaccines are harmful. Anyway, it's a great article until then. Great article until then. But yeah, see, the the vaccines are harmful. In case you didn't know what uh, Biden talked about the windmills a minute ago, a two megawatt windmill is made up of 250 tons of steel that require 300 tons of iron ore and 170 tons of coking coal all mined, transported, and produced by hydrocarbons. A windmill could spin until it falls apart and never generate as much energy as was invested in building it. And you know what? They don't care. 
You know why? Because it's not science. It's a religion. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, children. It's not science. It is a religion. Talking about environmentalism. And I was blessed to come across a YouTube video from 15 years ago. Who remembers the, uh, the novelist Michael Crichton? Let's, uh, let's have a show of hands. Anybody remember Michael Crichton? He was uh, talking to some, uh, some kids in college 15 years ago. And it went something like this. And he was very polite and very patient with uh, this particular college freshman. I'm Daniela Benchstock. I'm also a freshman here. You stated in your remarks to the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco that one of the most powerful religions in the Western world is environmentalism. Can you explain why you refer to environmentalism as a religion? And he's ready for that. He's ready for that. Because I have training in anthropology, uh, the idea that anthropologists have about what constitutes a religion or what functions a religion serves are a little bit different from how you think about it if you categorize religions as, you know, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, something like that. So from the standpoint of an anthropological view, a religion is a collective set of beliefs. Um, it, there is a leader or leaders who promote the beliefs among the followers. Followers make some kind of contribution or um, uh, change in uh, their lifestyle based on the religious belief. Uh, the religious belief gives them a total view of the world in terms of what, how the world is structured, what's right, what's wrong, what's good action, what's bad action. That all fits perfectly onto environmentalism. The other thing that environmentalism does, which I said to this group, is it, it rather precisely maps a lot of Judeo-Christian beliefs about the origin of the world and so on, so that environmental thinking, there is a view that it, there used to be a sort of Eden, and then people came and ruined that, that Eden, um, and that we are therefore sort of original sinners because we're destroying this planet, and what we can do, however, is get salvation through sustainability. And if you're a good person, you will seek salvation. And if you're a bad person, you'll drive SUVs. Um, <laughs> that is a kind of a religious belief. That was my argument. Now, we, we don't know, at least I don't know, you might, what Michael Crichton thinks about the different world religions, you know. Because Christianity is the only one that has the evidence to back it up. He, he seems to be assuming that to believe in any particular religion is, is a leap of faith instead of 
know, having uh, weighed the evidence. But, but, the point is well taken that environmentalism acts as a religion. Because it certainly does. It's certainly not based on evidence. It acts as a religion. Now, bless her heart, the freshman girl who asked him the question accepts what he's saying. Okay, it's a religion. No, what's wrong with that? She has no idea. She it's 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 way over her head. Now this is fifteen years ago. She might understand it by now, but as a freshman in college, she accepts his premise. Environmentalism is religion, but she doesn't understand what the problem is. Still, did a fear you were very negative towards environmentalism. What caused you to be so prejudiced towards this religion? It's fine with her that it's religion. It's fine with her that it's not based on science. So what's the problem? Why are you so prejudiced against this religion? <laughs> Bless her heart. And again, Michael Crichton. I mean, it's like taking candy from a baby. He's ready. Mm. Well, um, I don't think it should be a religion. You know, and uh, I don't know. It's interesting that you said it was prejudice. That, um, it's a disagreement. I'm not sure it's a... I, I would argue it's not a prejudice. That it's a different way of seeing things. The... Um, what I, the core of my argument is that if you're going to be responsive to the environment, the environment is always changing, and our understanding of the environment is always changing. And if we are to be to do better with the environment that we do now, and I would tell you that at this moment we have raw sewage seeping out of the Yellowstone National Park, so we're not doing a great job. I mean, I, I mentioned the parks because the parks are unlike. Uh, land use where there's uh, conflicts about should we build a house or should we build the, the parks are set aside the parks are there for us to preserve them and it turns out we don't know how to preserve them and we won't admit that we don't know how to preserve them we have it's been a disaster what we've done and so when I look at how we treat the environment I think we have to be flexible I think we have to try things and see how they turn out we have to be ready to change course we have to be able to adapt we have to say we're wrong and let's do it right we have to do research this is all stuff that fundamentalist religions can't do and if, and if environmentalism is a kind of fundamentalist religion, then that's not a good way to manage the environment. We need a scientific approach. We need a non-religious approach. We need a way to look at this and do better than we've done. A lot better. It's essential. It's essential for you guys and, you know, for your children. Yeah, but see, here's the deal. Um... Those in power use religions like environmentalists to get what they want, which is more control over us. Right? They don't believe in freedom. They don't believe in liberty. 
No, no, they, they really don't. Now, are you aware that former assistant director of the FBI, Andrew McCabe, has said that conservatives are as bad as Islamic terrorists? Were you aware of this? Yeah. Yeah, let's take a look at this. Evita Duffy over the Federalist. Disgraced FBI number two, Andrew McCabe, calls for feds to treat mainstream conservatives like domestic terrorists. She says, have you ever wondered what disgraced former FBI deputy directors do after trying to stage a coup and lying under oath? That's what he tried to do in 2016, 2017, you know. Apparently, they give talks about, quote, protecting democracy, unquote, at top-rated institutions of higher learning. Indeed, last Thursday, University of Chicago invited former Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe to join a panel of partisans to discuss the so-called January 6th insurrection. McCabe was fired as Deputy FBI Director for leaking sensitive information about an investigation into the Clinton Foundation and then lying about it under oath. He also took part in spying on the Donald Trump campaign through a secret warrant granted by the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act Court. The dossier he used to obtain the surveillance warrant was funded by Hillary Clinton's campaign and, in an ironic twist, was itself the product of Russian disinformation. McCabe and his allies in corporate media justified all sorts of similar illegal and undemocratic tactics to discredit an attempt to unseat President Trump. Of course, neither the University of Chicago nor McCabe acknowledged the irony in his discussing the integrity of so-called democracy in America on last Thursday evening. In fact, what McCabe said at the University of Chicago event on January 6, 2022 is even more shocking than his invitation to speak in the first place. So we have four of the most appalling assertions and policy proposals Andy McCabe made at this public event at the University of Chicago on January 6. Number one, Andrew McCabe asserted conservatives are in the same category as Islamic terrorists. McCabe likened conservatives to members of the Islamic Caliphate. Quote, I can tell you from my perspective of spending a lot of time focused on the radicalization of international terrorists and Islamic extremists and extremists of all stripes is that this group, conservatives, shares many of the same characteristics of those groups that we've seen radicalized along entirely different ideological lines, unquote. Yeah, I tell you, man, we're, we're beheading women who don't wear the hijab on, on the regular. Absolutely. Conservatives, just like Islamic terrorists, why did it take you so long to figure that out, Andy McCabe? Absolutely. Cutting off the hands of thieves, you know. Slaying infidels left and right. Of course, we're just like him, Andy McCabe. You idiot. 
McCabe went on to describe the rise of the Islamic Caliphate in Syria and how Islamic extremists were radicalized across across socioeconomic, educational, and racial lines, likening it to likening it to the mass radicalization of the political across demographics. That's right. According to Andrew McCabe, a grandma who shares an article out of Federalist on Facebook and your uncle with a Let's Go Brandon coffee mug are in the same category as a jihadist who killed 49 people at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. Number two in the list of four outrageous assertions Disgraced former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe made last January 6th, pardon me, last Thursday, January 6, 2022, at the University of Chicago. Number two, parents of school board meetings pose a threat to national security. Oh, yeah. Andy McCabe asserted political violence is not just confined to the Capitol, it's going on in school boards around the country, it's going on in local elections, it's happening, you know, even to healthcare workers. According to this politically protected former FBI number two, the political violence occurring recently at school board meetings and during local elections is a very diverse and challenging threat picture. Now, if you haven't heard already, Democrats are branding parents, parents who oppose child mask mandates, parents who oppose racist critical race theory indoctrination as domestic terrorists. So, Andy McCabe. Oh, and they link to it. They link, they link to the article, by the way. Leftist School Boards Association begs Biden to use domestic terrorism laws to target concerned parents. Absolutely. So McCabe, Andy McCabe says, moms and dads who stand up for their children's health and education, school board meetings in ways Democrats disagree with are very dangerous. So dangerous. It's actually essential. We have a, quote, Rapid and complete response by law enforcement at the state, local, and federal level to this sort of political violence. Oh. So moms and dads who go to school board meetings and oppose child mask mandates and racist critical race theory indoctrination actually commit political violence, according to Andy McKay. Because remember now, he's a liberal, and with liberals, speech is violence, but actual violence is not. It's just speech. Holding America's parents accountable is not enough for Andy McCabe. He wants to make sure that federal agencies also put out, quote, that message that this sort of conduct that both horribly victimizes individuals but also serves to undermine our democratic process is considered a threat to national security is not tolerated, unquote. Again, the former number two guy at the FBI who was fired for lying under oath, among other things, Fire for spying on a presidential campaign, which you wouldn't have been able to do if he hadn't lied under oath, is claiming that moms and dads going to complain to school boards is a threat to national security. Number three assertion that Andy McCabe made, University of Chicago last Thursday. He wants more surveillance of mainstream conservatives. Quote, I'm fairly confident 
the FBI and other agencies have reallocated resources and repositioned them and repositioned some of their counterterrorism focus to increase their focus on right-wing extremism and domestic violent extremists. I think that's obviously a good idea, unquote. Now, again, to him, protesting peacefully at a school board meeting is violence. But McCabe wants more. He asserted the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and FBI need to stop merely focusing on what he calls the fringes of the right-wing movement in order to catch this threat of the right. Quote, Are you going to catch this threat if your focus is only on the traditional right-wing extremists, those groups that we know about, the quote-unquote fringes of the right-wing movement? And I think the answer to that is no, unquote. But he goes on. Quote, it's entirely possible that when the intelligence community and the law enforcement community looks out across the mainstream, they didn't assume on January 6th that that group of people, business owners, white people from the suburbs, educated, employed, presented a threat of violence. And now we know very clearly that they do, unquote. Now, again, McCabe knows that January 6th was an FBI sting. He knows that it wasn't an insurrection. He knows that it was a a trap by the feds. He's never going to admit it. So he's saying that business owners, educated and employed white people from the suburbs, present a threat of violence. Why? Because some of them tried to protect defenseless women from being beaten by Capitol Hill police. It's on video. McCain wants to get around constitutional obstacles that restrict the abuses of federal agencies. He explained that the path to granting the feds more power to spy on and punish what he calls extremists, in other words, conservatives, is by implementing federal penalties against, quote, domestic terrorism, unquote. A measure like this would grant domestic agencies like intelligence. Sorry, let me try this again. A measure like this would grant domestic agencies the intelligence capabilities of the International Terrorism-Focused National Counterterrorism Center. McCabe says it would, quote, give investigators the ability to begin investigating when folks are plotting or planning or organizing to use violence for the purpose of coercing the population or influencing government, unquote. Sounds like what you're doing, pal. But again, remember, he calls moms and dads exercising their First Amendment right to free speech to show up and redress their grievances at a school board meeting. He calls that violence. Joshua Geltzer, Biden's advisor on countering domestic violent extremism, made the same proposal in the 2019 hearing before subcommittee of the House Oversight Committee. In his proposal, Geltzer suggests that we need to, quote, police tech company platforms to remove not just incitement of violence, but also the ideological foundations that spawn such violence, unquote. In other words, Thought crimes. In other words, he wants to get rid of the First Amendment. 
Andy McCabe claims these proposed federal laws against domestic terrorism can be implemented without infringing on America's First Amendment rights to free speech. That seems quite impossible, however, given Geltzer's proposing government oversight of social media, for example. It's even more difficult to believe when you consider that Democrats are not going after real domestic terrorists and literally define parents speaking out of school board meetings as national security threats. As McCabe said himself to Democrats, the extreme right is the mainstream right. Okay, so the fourth of Andy McCabe's four assertions last Thursday, University of Chicago, is McKay believes no one is above the law except himself. Ironically, one of Andy McCabe's last remarks was a proclamation of equality under the law. He said, quote, whether you're a Trump supporter or a Biden supporter, right, left, or otherwise, we should all be able to agree on the principle that no one is above the law. From the lowliest trespasser on January 6th up to the highest-ranking government officials who may have been aware of a plan that would ultimately lead to violence in the Capitol, those people should be held accountable, period. And if we can't do that, that is just another sign that we're becoming a non-functioning democracy, unquote. Now, ironically... McCabe's firing for repeatedly breaking the law was expunged from the record only because he settled with a partisan Biden Department of Justice. If no one is above the law, as as McCabe claims to support, then he would be in jail. Of course, McCabe is above the law. Only dissenting conservatives, in his view, deserve the suspicion of wrath of unelected federal agencies. Disturbingly, the University of Chicago does not care about national introspection post-January 6, 2021. If it did, it would not have invited Andy McCabe, of all people, to speak about protecting democracy. University of Chicago allowed Andrew McCabe to spin lies about what truly happened a year ago and filter student questions via Zoom, refusing to ask him any tough questions. Consequently, McCabe was given a platform to teach young, impressionable college students without question that the federal government should be weaponized against fellow Americans whom leftists brand as extremists. To the elites in America, Democrats like McCabe, university, university administrators and professors, January 6th is the key to labeling their political opponents as dangerous white supremacist extremists and enacting new policy accordingly. America's universities are now indoctrination machines that shape the minds of the next generation. Academia openly exploits its power and rewrites history to serve its illiberal agenda. Sadly, McCabe's dishonest version of January 6th is happily accepted by the academic elites who invited him last Thursday evening. His frighteningly despotic views and policy prescriptions will likely be accepted and implemented by his young listeners. That's Evita Duffy, senior contributor to the Federalist and co-founder of the Chicago Thinker. New article entitled Disgraced, FBI Number 2, Andrew McCabe calls for feds to treat mainstream conservatives like domestic terrorists. Like domestic terrorists. You're, you're not really surprised, are you? I mean, 
this uh, this really shouldn't surprise you. They're all in, man. But we're not. They're all in, but we're not. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Do we have that clip from uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy about what the Republicans plan to do if they're able to win back the House and come in with a Republican majority? Winning back the House would be uh, the election November of this year and coming in with a conservative majority they're sworn in in early January 2023. I'm sorry, did I say conservative? I should have said Republican because a lot of Republicans are not conservatives. Anyway, so Kevin McCarthy was on one of the few good shows left on Fox News, Sunday Morning Futures with Maria Bartiromo talking about what the Republicans have planned should they win back the majority in Congress. First and foremost, if we are fortunate to be able to, to earn the trust of the American people and earn the majority, we will secure this border to stop the human trafficking and the drugs flowing across. We'll make it easier to open a small business, not harder. We'll make America energy independent again, the gasoline price lower, to be able to manufacture here in America. We will pass the Parents' Bill of Rights. This is just a start, but at the same time, this administration, with one party rule in one year, has no accountability, and we will be able to hold them accountable and get America back on the right track. Okay, that's all well and good. I mean, I hope you do each and every one of those, okay? But um, I got to agree with my boy, David Reboy, over there on Twitter. He said, what's more important than all of that is revenge. In other words, They have done a lot of horrible things to this country. And they need to pay. They need to pay. They've done a lot of horrible things to this country and this world, and they need to pay. It's not enough to try to dismantle a few things that they've done. Uh, we need to um, we need to hit them so hard that they can't do it again. And I certainly don't think Kevin McCarthy is a leader with a foresight and vision to do that any more than Mitch McConnell is in the Senate. No. Absolutely not. That's why, no matter where you live, if uh, if your member of Congress is not really representing you, he or she needs to be replaced. Now, of course, if you have a Democrat member of Congress, you need to get a Republican in there. But what if you got a rhino, a Republican in name only. Like, say, for instance, unfortunately, members of the 2nd District, 2nd U.S. House District in uh, Arkansas, I have a guy named French Hill. 
has been in there since January 2015. Well, you thank God that he has a primary opponent, an American first candidate named Colonel Conrad Reynolds. And if you're in central Arkansas, you say, hey, wait a minute. It's going to be a meet and greet for Conrad Reynolds? Where's that going to be? When's that going to be? Whole hog barbecue on Cantrell. A week from tomorrow, 4 to 6 in the afternoon. If you get there early enough, uh, get a $10 gift certificate for whole hog barbecue and a Let's Go Brandon Bobber sticker. I'm there. 4 o'clock, Tuesday 18th. Meet and greet the guy who's going to take French Hill out. Colonel Conrad Reynolds. Absolutely. I'm there. Now, if you're not sure, if you're represented by a rhino and you're not sure if he or she has a primary opponent, then find out. Find out. If you're represented by a Democrat in the U.S. House and you're not sure if he or she has a Republican opponent in the general election coming up in November, find out. Now, I don't know about the primaries in the other states. Primary in uh, Arkansas is uh, May 24th. And I think three of the four U.S. representatives in Arkansas have primary opponents. We have U.S. Senator up for re-election also. He has three primary opponents. John Bozeman. I mean, people all over the country have heard of Tom Cotton. Most folks outside of, even most folks in Arkansas have never heard of John Bozeman. He's got three primary opponents. Uh, Jake Paquette, Jan Morgan, and Pastor Heath Loftus. So here's your chance. Here's your chance. I'm still talking to people every day who are fed up with French Hill but have no idea, are pleasantly surprised when I say, well, you know, he has a primary opponent. Really? Didn't know that. Sure does. Sure does. By the way, somebody said on the, uh, I get a lot of comments on the, on the Podbean app. And somebody said, every person running for office should be asked about Ray Epps and why he was let go while others are tortured in D.C. prisons and Ashley Babbitt is dead. Yep. My buddy Kenny Wallace said, said that. Thanks for checking in, Kenny. You're absolutely correct. That needs to happen. No two ways about it. Why hasn't uh, Ray Epps been prosecuted? The instigator of so much violence at the Capitol. January 6th. Why hasn't he been prosecuted? I'm just asking. I'm just asking. Uh-oh. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. 
Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way. Big old car dealership in the middle of the USA. The police and freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV that you want. The way you want to online and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. Three-way tie today. Three-way tie. For uh, Tweet of the Day. So Canadian television, CTV News. Actually has an article entitled... Vaccinated hospital patients outpace the unvaccinated, but experts say that doesn't mean the shots don't work. My buddy Rising Serpent tweeted out, this is a real headline. What idiocy. What idiocy. Vaccinated hospital patients outpace the unvaccinated, but experts say it doesn't mean the shots don't work. Ah, okay. Another in our three-way tie, three-way tie for Tweet of the Day, Dr. Aaron Cariotti says, remember the name of the group that carried out the reign of terror that guillotined all those people during the French Revolution? The name of that group was the Committee on Public Safety. Does that remind you anything? Okay, and for the lighter side, the third in our three-way tie for Tweet of the Day, the great actress Kirstie Alley, you might remember her from uh, Cheers, play Rebecca. She went out there on Twitter Saturday afternoon and said, one thing I've learned from watching too much Dateline NBC 2020 and Forensic Files is if you kill your husband or wife, and give it a month or two before you start dating the person who helped you do it. I mean, I just, because, uh, I saw that and I just, uh, my wife uh, watches a lot of the Dis- uh, Discovery ID channel. She got me hooked on that, um, Homicide hunter guy, you know, the Sergeant Joe Kenda. Man. Impressive. All those murder investigations and stuff. So that's your three way tie for Tweet of the Day, brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice online and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States. So let's take a look over at childrenshealthdefense.org. Little article here by Jeremy Lafredo. Scientists say fourth COVID booster shot could cause immune system fatigue. Really? Subtitle, as Israel moves ahead with fourth COVID shot, scientists told the New York Times the additional booster may cause more harm than good. Really? The scientists warned that too many shots might actually harm the body's ability to fight COVID and might cause a sort of immune system fatigue. On Monday, Israeli authorities 
began offering anyone over age 60 a chance to get a fourth shot or second booster of the COVID vaccine. But scientists told the New York Times before Israel confirmed it would offer the fourth shot, the science is not yet settled on using an additional booster shot to combat the new Omicron variant. Well, I guess not. The Omicron variant, which is kind of like having a mild cold. You know, science is not conclusive on any of the vaccines yet. None of them are approved. They all have emergency use authorization in the United States. Everybody taking those vaccines is a guinea pig right now. They don't tell you that, do they? I didn't think so. I didn't think so. I would say that's concerning. I would say that's concerning. So we had a little bit earlier, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, CDC director, admitting that over 75% of the people they say died from COVID actually had over four, an average of over four comorbidities each. So obviously they died from something else and they just chalked them up as COVID deaths. Now, why are they doing this? Well, they realize midterm elections are coming up later this year. Biden is hugely unpopular. More people died under Biden, chalked up to COVID in 2021 than under Trump in 2020. So that looks bad for the Democrat parties. So they're like, well, you know, actually, most of those people only died with it, not from it. Oh. So they're trying to pave the way for Democrats to maybe hold on to some House seats. So in November, November 4th, 2021, Senator Bill Cassidy from Louisiana has CDC Director Rochelle Walensky under oath. Let's see how it went. Oh, I'm sorry. I got to turn this back up. Right, here we go. What percent of CDC employees are vaccinated? We're actively encouraging vaccination in all of our employees and doing a lot of education and outreach in order to get our agency fully vaccinated. And the, but the percent? I, I don't have that for you today. I'm told that 75, to, um, some north of 75% of CDC employees at headquarters are still working remotely. Is that correct? Um, we are following uh, regulations through HHS and the federal government. No, that's not my question. I apologize to be rude, but, but, but I'm asking a very straightforward question. I've been told that north of 75% of employees at, at, at CDC headquarters are working remotely. Is that correct? Senator, I don't actually know that number off the top of okay, my head. When you look down the hallway, are there empty desks? Are over 50% of the desks empty? Senator, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. What I will tell you is that we're working closely within HHS and the administration to follow the governmental rules for return to... There was a recent GAO report that shows, and released in the last two weeks, that there's been no coordinated response from the federal government to get people back into work. Now, if there's any agency that, since we have teachers in Fulton County are back at work, that the caseload of COVID in Fulton County is about 88. At its peak, it was 606. Uh, if what I've been told by someone who, frankly, kind of knows that people in laboratories are not showing up. I have no clue how people, how laboratory workers who presumably are vaccinated wearing PPE would consider themselves eligible to stay at home. Uh, I say this because I just want to echo, we got to lead by example in the federal government. If our public health agencies don't have enough 
confidence in the immunization and in the PPE to go back to work fighting infectious diseases, there's going to be a lot of undermining of, an, of a willingness to further fund public health. We absolutely have our essential labs back at work conducting their essential research towards this response. And um, we are following the regulations and providing technical assistance and technical support to the federal government for return to work policies. Uh, one more thing. I had asked, Angus King and I had sent a letter dated February the 25th asking about genomic surveillance. We've still not received a response. And you probably never will. Uh, you probably never will. Rochelle Walensky. Um, how'd she get to be CDC director? Because she clearly is way over her head. She doesn't know. She has no idea what's going on. No idea. And don't be surprised if she becomes like a scapegoat for the Biden regime. Now, remember, she has no power to go against them. She's just following, following orders, right? Just following orders. Don't be surprised if they uh, hang her out to dry and blame a lot of what happened on her. Just a thought. Now, um, I hope you're at the point... in which you realize that the powers that be are not always looking out for your best interests. Had that occurred to you? You Would you uh, be shocked if I told you That um, there is a secret in uh, American healthcare, best kept secret in American healthcare, that fewer people know about than the people who know the truth about hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's helped me, helped my wife, helped many, many people that we know. Let me explain how this works. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column. The atlas, the C1, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for that atlas to get out of alignment. If that top bone of your spinal column gets out of alignment... Your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It could affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, digestive system, even your circulatory system. It could cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, all manner of physical maladies. 
And if you're suffering from any of those, you want to check into this. But think about this now. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Do you naturally tilt your head to the left or to the right because that's how you feel most comfortable? It's not supposed to be that way. If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. Now, the two different ways to go with this, if you're in central Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted. Their website is turnmypoweron.com. If you're outside central Arkansas, you go to that website, turnmypoweron.com, click on the tab that says find a doctor and see if you can find one close to where you live. Best kept secret American healthcare. I, you know, I've been in this kind of care on and off since I think about 2007, 2008, something like that. And I think that if by the grace of God, I did not stumble onto this best kept secret American healthcare, I have no doubt no doubt I would be in a wheelchair by now. No doubt. Instead, I'm running around and thankful. And thankful. All right, turnmypoweron.com. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. Okay. Now, We've been kind of sharing with you some of the things that are coming out that they're finally admitting about the Wu flu, about the China virus. CDC director saying, well, you know, over 75% of the people actually had an average of over four comorbidities each. So, you know, they didn't, they didn't really die from COVID. They died with it. You got the medical advisor on CNN saying a week or so ago that cloth masks are useless. Really? So Jesse Kelly, a talk show host out of Houston, out there on Twitter this morning saying, watch and see the reaction from the Western world as it's slowly revealed to them they've been lied to for two years. I will tell you all you need to know about our future prospects. Oh, I'm sorry. It will tell you all you need to know about our future prospects. In other words, how people respond when they slowly realize they've been lied to for a couple of years. He says the unbridled hatred you should feel for the politicians, bureaucrats, and CEOs who ripped up your life for two years over a lie should be palpable for them. These people should be publicly shamed. They should be shouted down. Some should be put on trial. Interesting. So Yuri Bezmenov, former Soviet spy who defected to the U.S. years and years and years ago. He said, as I mentioned before, exposure to true information does not matter anymore. A person who is demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him, even if I shower him with information with authentic proof with documents and pictures, he will refuse to believe it. That is the tragedy of the situation of demoralization. 
And it is, you know. So our country needs prayer. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our fellow citizens. So but they've been doing this kind of stuff for a long time. Long time. I just came across this article, USA Today. Fact check. It's true. U.S. government did poison some alcohol during Prohibition, causing the deaths of who knows how many people. They've been doing this kind of stuff for a long time. And the FBI, you know, I mean, hopelessly corrupt. Julie Kelly, the great Julie Kelly, uh, she's one of the writers over at uh, American Greatness, amgreatness.com. She's got a little thread on Twitter this morning. She said, the CDC is finally saying out loud what a handful of, of us noticed in the beginning. COVID fatalities are way overinflated. Walensky just admitted a whopping 75% of COVID victims had at least four comorbidities. She says, I wrote this the first week of April 2020, and she links to an article are COVID-19 deaths being overreported? She says, Biden's CDC is going to drastically reduce the number of COVID deaths on his hands. Then she adds her column from April 10th, 2020, uh, which is called Time to Sideline the False Prophets of Doom. She said, if only Trump had taken better advice back then. In other words, he shouldn't have listened to Fauci and Burks. He shouldn't have listened to Fauci and Burks. You know, I played the um, the clip for you from Kevin McCarthy earlier about what um, what Republicans are planning to do if they take back the Congress. In response, Julie Kelly says the biggest threat to the country is the vengeful all-powerful and unaccountable administrative state. In other words, the deep state. Nothing even comes close. The fact that Kevin McCarthy continues to overlook this is more evidence that he should not be speaker if the Republican Party takes the House this year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, one of the things that frustrates people who try to get their atten- the attention of their elected leaders is that there seems to be a disconnect. There really seems to be a disconnect. I'll never forget, I was in Panama City, Florida, And there was a, what they call a blue dog Democrat or yellow dog Democrat, Alan Boyd, seven-term congressman from the 2nd District of Florida, fighting for his political life. He was defeated uh, by a guy named Steve Sutherland, who was the, uh, he was the first Republican elected the U.S. House in the 2nd District of Florida since Reconstruction. So Alan Boyd 
is doing a town hall at uh, Gulf Coast Community College, what it was called then, in a gym. And he was horrified. He was shocked. He said, I've never seen this level of partisanship. I don't understand why, or why people are so upset about President Obama, why we can't just come together. And I said, perhaps it's because, among other things, President Obama says we're no longer a Christian country, but we're the biggest Muslim country in America. And Alan Boyd, congressman, his response was, whoa, 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 now wait a minute, wait a minute here. Where, where are you getting all this from? And so I talked to a couple of members of his staff after the town hall. I said, you know, might not be a bad idea to have somebody on your staff who actually looks at the news, actually pays attention to what's going on with the news. And I referenced what I told him. And they're like, well, now, is this recently? I mean, where did you get that? They don't know what they don't know. They don't pay attention to what they don't pay attention to. And the great Steve Dace, it's spelled D-E-A-C-E. So it looks like Dace, but he pronounces Dace. Has a thread that came out that I saw an hour or so after I got off the show Friday. A remarkable thread over there on Twitter about how people in the D.C. media bubble have no idea they're in a bubble. Every member of Congress should read this. Everyone in media should also read it. I wish I could have explained this as eloquently as a great Steve Dace did. So here's what he says. We have a serious problem which must be addressed. And it's a lot of what I believe Ted Cruz is really getting widely criticized for which I agree with, by the way, despite considering him to be a friend, but it's broader than just Ted Cruz. I will address it in this thread. First, let's stipulate to an undeniable truth of history. Whoever has control over the flow of information in any society ultimately has control. To that end, he links to a tweet from his friend Kyle Lamb, who works for Governor Ron DeSantis, in response to what he's seeing what he saw Friday morning from the Supreme Court hearing on evil and unethical COVID jab mandates. Kyle Lamb, who works in the communications office for Governor DeSantis in Florida, said, it's really sad how misinformed the justices of the highest court in the land are on this disease. It shouldn't matter as it should be about the law, but since they're making it about the disease itself, it would help if they weren't citing utter false statistics. Utterly false. Quote, those numbers show that Omicron causes as much severe disease and death in the unvaccinated as Delta did, unquote. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you an actual quote just now from Supreme Court Justice Friday morning. This is how grossly ignorant they are. There is no data in the world it shows Omicron is as dangerous as Delta. Among the gyms, Friday morning, Supreme Court, there are unprecedented levels of people in hospitals, false. Hospitalizations are growing tenfold, false. Omicron is just deadly, as deadly as Delta, false. More Supreme Court misinformation. Absolutely astonishing that Sotomayor said 100,000 children are in serious condition. Where do these people get this inf misinformation? The current national pediatric COVID census for health and human services is a little over 3,000. And mostly are incidental, not even because of COVID. 
to add the list of COVID misinformation by the Supreme Court, Justice Breyer said 99% of the hospitalized people are unvaccinated. Totally false. Breyer also asserted that OSHA mandate will prevent 100% of daily U.S. COVID cases. Totally ridiculous. And Justice Breyer, Justice Breyer also said this. But my question really is, and I'd like to turn this to, is uh, stay. You heard what I asked. I mean, you know, 750 million new cases yesterday, or close to that, is uh, a lot. There are only 330 million people living in America, which means if Justice Breyer is right, the 750 new COVID cases happened the day before. Apparently, everybody got COVID twice in the previous 24 hours. So, Friday, at least a third of your Supreme Court justices cited no fewer than half a dozen falsifiable claims about COVID-19 that even PolitiFact would rate as false as being fact-checked as if it were a tweet or story. It's a sad day for the United States. That's all from Kyle Lamb, Governor Ron DeSantis' office. So going back to Steve Dace, who said to that end, he shared the Kyle Lamb tweets in response to what he saw Friday morning at the Supreme Court hearing on evil and unethical COVID job mandate, COVID, COVID jab mandates. He said, furthermore, I did a Twitter poll recently, which almost 10,000 people voted in, asking how many people believe Trump is even aware of COVID doctors, experts, sources, independent of the corporate narrative, given Trump's continued support for past lockdowns and repeated vaccinations now. 80% said they don't believe Donald Trump even knows who the doctors, expert sources are like Dr. Peter McCullough. And I wholeheartedly agree with that majority sentiment, or at the very least, Trump does know and has willfully chosen to ignore them. Every day for almost two years now, I get feedback from listeners or viewers who cannot believe what they hear other alternative media people say about COVID. With questions like, do you know these people? How can they not know this stuff, etc.? And he's getting to it, and I, I hope we get to it on the live stream before uh, Podbean cuts me off. If we don't, then the rest of it will be on the, the podcast in a few minutes. Frankly, more people need to learn the lesson I had to learn the hard way the last few years and become more radicalized informationally. I understand this comes with a danger or the ultimate danger everyone in this business fears, being deplatformed, shunned, ostracized, etc. Unfortunately, we're in an era now when simply providing an alternative take on corporate media spin while still assuming corporate media largely provides correct information is null and void. We are beyond bias to full-throat, spirit-of-the-age deception delusion now. And that means the ground is bad. It doesn't need a new or better fertilizer. It needs to be raised. R-A-Z-E-D. The water table is contaminated. The source is corrupted. Therefore, we can no longer as a movement, industry, party, etc., 
continue with a paradigm of providing an alternative take on agreed-upon information. The information itself is bad. Thus, it is no longer enough to create streams of alternative analysis. We must now create reservoirs of alternative information. If you're simply analyzing corporate media information, you're doing the intellectual equivalent to helping to spread Zyklon B. That was the gas the Nazis used on the Jews. There is no there there. There's nothing righteous there. Those are dry bones. When they tell the truth, it's either by accident, a mistake, or to set up a different lie later. There's no information in corporate media anymore, only intent to deceive. It's not news, it's only narrative. I understand accepting this reality makes our jobs harder. My job is easily more stressful than ever. And of course, rival gaslighting will emerge to compete with the established variety, which makes the truth more elusive. Tribalism begets tribalism. Some will demand their untrue narrative is now pushed in response to the other's untrue narrative and attempt to justify it because accepting one sector's gaslighting is too much to bear. However, zero times zero is still just zero. A dueling lie never leads us to the truth. At the same time, accepting the premise of unfiltered and unapologetic propaganda and then explaining yourselves from there doesn't make you reasonable. You're a mark. You've been had. And I get this because I had previously been had. I couldn't believe they would just make up Kavanaugh as an undiscovered marauding gang rapist allegations out of thin air. But they did. Then I couldn't believe a decorated veteran and patriot like Robert Mueller would allow himself to become the useful idiot, the wanton tool of an obvious coup attempt. So there had to be something there. Mueller wouldn't just allow that, right? Well, there wasn't something there. I was wrong about that too. Dead wrong, in fact. At this point now, I have a choice to make. I can hold on to my self-righteous assumptions and continue to be self-deluded or admit a difficult and very inconvenient truth. I admitted the latter, that I'm not the smartest guy in the room, that I don't know better, that I can't just assume things anymore. And it was that admission that prepared me for the greatest delusion all still to come, COVID stand. He says, I believe Ted Cruz accepted the premise of the enemy's January 6th narrative because that's where he gets most of his information. And if it can happen to arguably the most conservative member of the United States Senate, it happened to a lot of big names. And I have previous exchanges with Ted Cruz in his office on the topic of COVID that reinforce my conclusion. If you accept the information premise of the enemy, you will eventually disseminate it. Bad information corrupts good character. I cannot tell you how many name conservative figures, politicians, etc., I've shared factual information with on COVID and they had never heard it before, including people in the Trump White House. How could I know of studies and data before they did? He says, I have a successful show, but I'm no big name superstar. He says, I've been on Fox News primetime a grand total of five minutes once my entire career. So it's not like people are coming to me with this information. I had to go and find it. 
If your name is Senator so-and-so, people will come to you with good information. If your name is President Trump, they'll do it all the more. The question then becomes about you. Will you continue to check the Politico tip sheet first thing in the morning, Senator, or will you listen? Will you fire Fauci, Mr. President, or will you let him wreck your presidency? More, I, I, I assume he's talking about Trump there because I, I don't call Biden president. This is just a remarkable thread from the great Steve Dace. And here's more. More folks with serious platforms are going to have to give up the assumption that every time their base comes to them with something that totally contradicts the established narrative, it's because their base is crazy. Instead, they need to humble themselves and realize they're crazy for continuing to accept the established narrative. And then putting your conservative spin on it doesn't make you smart, but a conserver of a lie. Again, you're the mark, not the man. Otherwise, we're going to continue to see more unnecessary self-immolations like what happened with Ted Cruz last week. For the same forces lying in our media are lying in our government because they are one and the same and colluding with each other. Which brings me to my buddy Kyle. Do you know why he's working in Florida Governor DeSantis' office? Because Ron DeSantis understood that if he was going to challenge COVID stand successfully, he needed real data. He couldn't just do it on a pro-liberty instinct. Because while Americans care deeply about their liberty, they care even more about their health. So the question, is it safe, had to be answered just as much as, is it constitutional? Kyle is part of Ron DeSantis' effort to do just that. It's why the governor has hosted Martin Koldorf and Dr. Jay Bhattacharya for events. He hasn't avoided experts. He's actually sought them out. DeSantis has followed the data which folks like Kyle analyze and share, not just an alternative spin on the COVID stand narrative. DeSantis has made Florida free by freeing it from the COVID stand information delusion. Floridians know they're free and safe, as do DeSantis' political opponents, which is why so many of them still hypocritically vacation in the state he governs. He didn't just act on constitutional instinct, but realized If he can't trust these people on the law of the land, he probably can't trust them on public health or anything else for that matter. What Ron DeSantis has done is a political prototype for how we need to deploy in the future. It's not enough to assume the information is biased anymore. Start now with assuming it's actually disinformation and go from there. And that is a great Steve Dace. And I I wish I could have said it as clearly as, as he did. By the way, he's uh, got a number one Amazon bestseller, Faucian Bargain, the most powerful and dangerous bureaucrat in American history. You've been listening to episode 63 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempier the 10th. Well, that's the way it is. Monday, January 10th, 2022.